0: For the Los Angeles Review of Books, I'm Colin Marshall, coming to you today from not Los Angeles, but Seoul, Korea, where I'm speaking to a writer who resides here and who's written a collection of short stories you've probably heard a lot about. Maybe you've even read it. You've probably read it. But it's a collection that reveals much, even to someone like me. I, I've, I was sure I knew a lot of things about the Korean culture. This collection revealed even more to me. It's Drifting House by Chris Lee with whom I'm speaking today, here at her home in Seoul. Now, as I say this, it, it's it's a thought that's occurred to me, that occurred to me a lot reading the book, that I, well, I'll put it this way. Did you, writing these stories, did you ever think it would come across to a non-Korean reader that being Korean was sometimes a bit of a living hell?
1: You know, I like to think that there's dark and light to mm. both life, wherever you are. Mm. Um, and I just happen to be more inclined is supposed to look at the things that are both uh that challenge as human beings wherever we are. Um, you know, there's there's a few great themes and we can count them on, you know, two hands and I think those are the things that I'm I'm more in- interested in. Mm. Um and so that's what I I happen to write about. And my characters are people who happen to be quite often um uh Korean than anything else just because it's the world that I understand I know best as well Mm -hmm. the the
0: dark there is uh, certainly this light and dark and one of the dark moments that fascinated as well Michael Silverblood a very astute reader we both know was I believe it's the first story in Drifting House a Korean woman who who comes to America in search of we think her her daughter and uh, the daughter's father but we go on to realize that uh, she's She's in search of something else. Uh, she, in fact, likes to be beaten. Um, and I say it like that just bluntly, and it sounds like, oh my God, what kind of over the top story is this? But it's not an over the top story. And in this cultural context, I don't know why, why, why did I find that so plausible in the context of a story about Koreans? I mean, the stereotype, yes, Korean men hit their wives. It's not necessarily true, but what, what's, why do I, why did I read that and think, oh, I see. Well, I, I can't even put into words, but there was a really like, oh, I see what this the, what this is moment. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, f- for me, um, I've always thought of uh, that particular story as a story about violence because I'm obsessed with violence mm-hmm. and the history of violence and the, the legacy of violence, how it gets passed down within the family in some ways, and how it, I was trying to understand in that story women who endure violence and it's begin to associate violence with love mm-hmm. and we see that between fathers and children we see that between husbands and wives um siblings it's a very dangerous relationship, but it's something that i i you know i i both I was fascinated with it's something I uh I feel very comfortable with because again it's uh, violence is just one of the the things that um is is one of the one of the things I obsessively write about, <laughs> <laughs> frankly. Wow. Um so rather than it again being a story about a Korea about you know, I, I don't like to think of stories as a kind of cultural dissection, mm. but more a window into um lives and through those lives, you both learn, you know, something about, you know, culture by default. Right. Uh, but you also learn about what it is to be this kind of woman in this kind of situation. Mm. Um, how do, you know, why do, for example, certain mothers end up killing their children? Or why do certain women keep coming back to the man who they love, who beats them, and they know they're going to get beaten? Um, those are the kinds of questions I think that sometimes can drive fiction, mm. um, writers, uh, to their material, uh, when it doesn 't let go of you, you know that that 's a story that you want to write or needs to be written, as Cheng Wei Li said to me, um, when it keeps bugging you, yeah. you write that story because it's it 's personal enough and it 's something you 're invested enough to spend a journey with in words
0: and it 's a question then that keeps bugging you that it takes the form of a question like that.
1: It's yes, it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's a mystery that I want to understand, uh, that drives me, and I, I don't want to reveal too much. But it's not a mystery that's necessarily um, completely divorced from my own life. Again, mm-hmm. I am obsessed with violence for very particular personal reasons, but I, I, I also, you know, don't. I'm not. I don't write uh, in general. I don't write autobiographical stories because I am a fairly private person, or I try to be, though being a writer is a very strange way to be a private yes, person. Especially nowadays. Yes. Um, but it is, every writer writes about the things they need, to, they need to write, I, I believe. Mm. And when, you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez said that there, the great theme of his life, the thing he com- keeps coming back to, is the idea of solitude. Mm. And you think of his exile from his home country, mm. um, all those decades mourning and grieving a place and a time and a world that he had lost. Uh, those, uh, the obsessions with the themes make complete sense. Mm. And I think that's, that's what drives that particular story, is the need to understand violence in a, in this context that may mm. not be mine, but in, in a context that, uh, I felt both familiar and foreign. Mm-hmm. Um, As you
0: say, the the lives come first, and through that you can understand something about a culture. But was cultural Koreanness a unify a unifier for this collection for you?
1: It was by accident. Ah, uh, I
0: see. So not deliberate. You weren't saying this is the Korean collection.
1: No, not at all. I didn't even know I was writing a collection when I was writing it. I didn't mm. dare to think, oh, this will be published. <laughs> <laughs> I I wrote it because it was something I loved and I needed to write. And a part of me, I think, was, in retrospect, I see that I was also responding to what I perceived as a gap within the Korean-American literature, mm. meaning, I'd come from a certain Korean America that was not a moneyed Korean America. It was not the, uh, American success story. It was not, um, you know, the, the Asian, mo- the model that, uh, the West often makes out the Asian to be. But there's so many Asians and Asian Americans who have fallen through the so-called cracks. Mm. Um, and those are the people I was surrounded by. It was, it was a, a culture of broken people, fractured people, strange people, <laughs> you know, alcoholics, druggies.
0: People sleeping under, ping pong tables. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, I, I am, I, I've always had a very soft spot for oddballs, outsiders, people who don't function well in social situations. Um, uh, they're my secret selves in some sense, I think they're my company, and so mm-hmm. in fiction, I find myself drawn to mm-hmm. the solitary, the strange the outsiders, mm-hmm. and they happen to be Korean because that's the again the the world I understand best, but they're people first and and the people they are i think uh what, whatever culture or race. You know, um, you identify yourself with you. This the other thing that one might identify self with is again the, the the strangeness and the outsider and the solitary right. or the quirky, just the the one that doesn't quite fit in and may may or may not be happy about it. Right.
0: And it reminds me of a conversation I had with a Korean American writer named Steph Cha in Los Angeles, and she writes American style thrillers, maybe you'd call them, with a Korean American protagonist. And we were joking about, she too had her ideas about the gaps in Asian American literature, or Korean American literature, and how every story seemed to be about the embarrassment of being at school in the 70s and opening your lunchbox and see, lunchbox and seeing a kimbap and the kids laugh at you. Mm-hmm. Of course, you read that now and think, well... A kid would read it and say uh, of any race would say, well that but it's cool. That's that's a better food than most kids are getting in their lunchbox gimbab and they know what it is too. But this idea of I mean that doesn't make somebody an outsider an outsider anymore, the gimbab in the lunchbox. There are, as you say, there are real hardcore outsiders to be written about, right?
1: I I think there's a universe, you know, inside every person and we try I think each person tries very hard, maybe in some ways to to, to, to be socialized, I suppose. Mm. And I'm, I'm a little bit suspicious of socialization (laughs) in general.
0: Right. When you live here in Korea where it's a big deal to be correctly socialized, right? More so than in the States.
1: Yes, Mm. very much so. How does that
0: manifest itself here in your, in your observations?
1: Well, I mean, I, I'm also a product of my culture. I mean, I, I grew up in the West, but I live, I've lived in Korea for a very long time since I've graduated from university and i i i do immediately adapt to social situations and i follow protocol uh, in general not all the time but in general um but i th- but i think that as as uh in the life that i live now as uh, as mainly a writer and a reader uh publishing both as a fiction writer and also to satisfy my university requirements for publication oh, sure. I just spend mo- just a great amount of time alone and I think part of the the wonder of solitude is the freedom to to really be yourself in mm-hmm. some ways to feel no pressure or no expectations at all to make complete sentences even. Oh, yes. I've always wondered, you know, why do we walk up to people and say, how are you? How are you doing? Right. I mean, the pleasantries, that's, we need those, of course, mm. to, in order to function in society, right. to, to be normal people, nice people to each other. And yet, you know, maybe, you know, you really want to go up to someone and say, you know, I wish I were a raccoon. And that right. could be an equally, See what happens. um, well, equally <laughs> organic, greeting. Right. But that doesn't work so well in society. It doesn't, and
0: it works less well in Korea, where I guess people just really don't talk to each other if they don't know each other.
1: Yes, or mm. if you said that to someone that you even knew, they just wouldn't know yeah. how to how to right. understand you.
0: Oh, sure. How about that? They, I mean, they would have some sort of non-informational response for you, just trying to deflect it.
1: Right. and, mm. and But in any world or any country you live in, you find people mm. who are willing to play with you, you know, yeah. in terms of language and and worlds uh, mm. um, you know to have one foot in reality and one one foot somewhere else, I think that 's a kind of wonderful place to be
0: mm. and it's one you can only really get to through solitude, can you not i mean if it's, it's, it keeps you a bit too much in reality if you 're constantly in a social situation
1: i, I there is yeah, I do agree to a certain extent mm. again, again, the privilege of having a a, a community where uh people understand each other in a certain way yeah. can also be that it liberates you right. um, to be and do all those things um, as well. And even in a country like Korea where, you know, protocol is so overriding and uh, um, it dominates people's lives. There is also quite a few people where that isn't, the most primary concern, Mm. you know, and there's idealists and dreamers and strange, strangeness and (laughs) girls who wear dog collars.
0: (laughs) It's funny. I mean, I was talking to an American residing here and he was saying, you know, he's, he's fluent in Korean and he was talking about just the, the interactions you have in Korea when you're a foreigner who can speak the language. And he was saying it's a common complaint you'll hear from foreigners. Uh, the quote is, I feel like I'm meeting the same person over and over again in Korea. What you've just said leads me to believe it doesn't need to be that way. There's people that don't seem like the same person over and over and over again. How best to encounter those people?
1: That's the question that, would be, that befuddles me. <laughs> um, I think you, that you, whatever country you live in, mm you gravitate towards that which is most natural and interesting to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and any place you live in, every person needs a community where you feel at home or a community that makes you feel a little less lonely. It just happens to be that sometimes those people, you know, for me at least, are people who might, you know, know how to play in a different way or nice. own a pet squirrel. <laughs> um, I wouldn't
0: know how to do that. It seemed vicious.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> this one was very cute. Mm. And just, it was rescued. Actually, it was a rescued squirrel. It's a fiction writer, actually, mm. whose book will be translated. In, I mean, it will be published, I think, next year. Oh, okay. um, but, uh But I think you just meet those people by existing. Anywhere mm. in the world, it just... In Korea, it's no different, and that's really my argument, maybe for, for any country, including Korea, is that we tend to categorize places and worlds based on, you know, geographical boundaries. Right. But I question so many of those geographical boundaries. I right. think culture is crucial, and it is part of what structures both society and shapes the the way res, uh, an individual responds and what they believe in, but at the same time, um, individuals everywhere, wherever they reside, are both of and are not of their culture. Mm.
0: They have they have those they have the side of them that is of the culture, the side that isn't.
1: Oh, that and really, that is anywhere in the world. Uh, it's
0: not just Koreans, not just Americans. It's all of us.
1: When you think of the the stereotypes that so many people around the world have of Americans, I mean, sure, many of the stereotypes, you know, might fit the majority of people, and yet there are so many people who. Aren't like that, mm. you know, like the stereotype that Americans are always loud. For example, <laughs> that Europeans have, mm. right? And then you meet your incredibly reticent, introspective, painfully shy American. <laughs> they <laughs> exist too. <laughs> um, so I, I do think uh, you think of J- J- Joseph Cornell, you know, the artist, and mm-hmm. you know, made his world of boxes and interiority.
0: That's, that's, that's not a loud American. That's that's somebody looking inward you were born here. As you say, you grew up in the West. What was your, what was your pathway? How, how much can you reconstruct where, where you, where you were, where you went and, uh, what brought you here?
1: Um, well, uh, I started in Korea and I left, um, you know, before my, uh, before I started my schooling, mm. uh, followed my parents, uh, well, followed my mother actually, uh, to America. My father went first and, um, I, as, as I was moving <laughs> houses, I discovered a whole packet of their letters that I'd been, um, carrying with me all these years. But it was, some of those letters were, well, most of those letters were between those two countries when they were missing and away from each other. I started there and then, um, went to school, uh, up and down the West Coast. Um, we moved around every three years. So, I, there was not really one place that I could say it was luck, like luck work. home. More or less, about every three years, two, every two and a half, every three years or so, we moved. And then, um, you know, and in, while I was attending university, I had the opportunity to to go to England, um, and so I did. Mm. And I finished my schooling there, um, stayed on for grad school, mm. and then. Um, uh, went to Korea I thought for a visit because I was actually planning to live in the UK from then on mm. but that visit turned permanent <laughs> Did
0: you have any expectations of Korea before you came here that time That for that quote unquote visit?
1: Oh, I was interested in Korea um, by that time in the sense that I'd made a few visits in the past and became more open to the idea of returning to Korea mm. or more interested in Korea as it is now rather than it was for my parents mm. And then I met a lot of Korean artists who were um, attending school um in London, whether mm. they were pianists or car designers or printmakers. And that really interested me in a very different kind of Korea. Mm. Again, a world that I could understand. So again, it was they were Koreans, but they were artists. You know, they were uh, people who were doing something that... You know, that they love to do and they weren't your Hyundai salary man, which is fine too. But, yes. you know, that is. It could is, be more
0: different in lifestyle than those two.
1: Yeah, that's maybe a little further um, away from my interest. I know very, I don't, I mean, I see a white car. I don't know what, I don't, I don't know the difference between a Ford and a Porsche. Sure, I have sure. entered white cars and realized that it's not the person I thought it was because yes. it was just a white
0: car. <laughs> looking for the color. Yes. I don't do it, but not the right car.
1: Yes. Um,
0: it's something you write about in Drifting House. The, speaking of the salary man or the huessaon—maybe there's a better word—but you, 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 you write of one in, in, in one of the stories that is uh, sort of dragged down to the, to the bottom by the IMF crisis. They call it here in, in Korea. Why? When did you? How did you come to write about uh, the IMF period?
1: Well, my uh, my boyfriend at the time. Was a Korean man who I'd started dating at, you know, while he was he just finished school and was doing his military service. Um, he was an officer, and I saw him change dramatically as he got a job at Hyundai. Hmm. And uh, what I saw was him dying as a human being in some <laughs> ways. Frankly, oh my. he. The hours that he was working were so unreasonable and he was so exhausted that naturally the person that he was when I met him really just didn't have the luxury to exist. And that mm-hmm. was a person who was very interested in the arts, in theater. His father was a painter. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up in the arts, even though he was, um, you know, uh, gone into engineering and all the things that he loved doing, the music that he played, uh, all those hobbies just fell to the side. Because mm. sleeping was the only thing that a person like eating and sleeping right. and work is the only things you have time for when you have that kind of a life. And, you know, much of my writing is driven by anger, frankly. Mm. Um, when I use anger, I mean in a... I mean, more like a sense of injustice. Right. Uh, so many things, I mean, so many things about this world upset me, you know, like all of us, in terms of both um, politics, injustice in all levels, from the very personal to the macro level, you know, um, you know, the personal meaning the family, and the macro meaning globalization and the, what countries do to each other. Right. And what I saw happening to him made me very interested and motivated to really understand what companies were doing to their people in Korea. Mm. And when the IMF became central in that story because pre-IMF, people really devoted themselves to their company, and they, they once had a job for life, but in exchange, you gave up your life. Yes, yes. But what happened during the IMF right, is that these people who have sacrificed themselves and their lives for their mm. company were discarded as soon as they were unnecessary mm-hmm. and um, a liability to the company. Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, my my sympathies are always going to be, almost always, with um, that person who faces the juggernaut. Right. You know, the Kafkaesque situation.
0: <laughs> uh, uh, uh. Why did this boyfriend want to work for Hyundai?
1: Well, for all the obvious reasons, one of the few companies that give a fairly good salary mm. in this country, the prestige, um, the company name that allows you to work elsewhere very easily mm. in the future, um, you know, the very competitive society that Korea is, right. um, you know, where you have more college graduates, more people graduate from college than almost any other country in the world. Mm. You have a highly overeducated population, right. and so therefore anything that helps ensure your future value in the job market is uh, important to mm-hmm. the people.
0: You write about the competitive society and the sort of drive to escape from it, and I, I recall a Korean character will think about raising kids overseas to get them out of the sort of exam culture here studying for the suning uh, the, the sort of SAT like test just having to be in Hagwon um, after after school classes all, all into the until the evening why why is there that culture here why is it so competitive
1: well that's a long complicated <laughs> um, question uh, I'll give you the very short simple answer um, you know some academics argue that uh, it's because the culture was influenced by the Japanese model of education very early on and did not adopt the more, the the Western form of education, but your education was also the grand equalizer post-war, post-colonization and uh, post-Choson dynasty period. Mm. It's, it's you, you had a nation that was mainly poor and education was opportunity. Wow. Um, you're also talking about a country that has Neo-Confucian roots uh, where education is highly emphasized. And so all those things, I think, collaborate to create an environment of incredibly competitive, exam-oriented um, results. Yeah. But how different was it? back in the Chosun dynasty. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was, again, was exam oriented results in order to become uh, an official right. and everybody, you know, studied for that, that so-called Koshi exam. Yeah. Um, today we have, you know, that system of the Koshi is, it exists and, uh, right.
0: persists. It's yes. not that different than the Chosun dynasty. Ultimately,
1: yeah. I, I think in some ways it's a ramification, you know, it's just of a, a different form with all sorts of other complex historical reasons. Mm. Um, for the way society is today. Having said that, you know, you have a country with uh, fewer jobs and then a lot of, um, a lot of people. Mm-hmm. You do create that environment. You, I look at America today and compared to, let's say, like, you know, 15 years ago, certainly people graduating from college right now are finding it incredibly challenging, mm-hmm. um, to get Jobs um, and are very talented, but how many internships are they doing, for example, in order to make themselves more marketable? Mm. That's maybe going to become more of a factor as easy money and easy jobs become less accessible Mm. anywhere.
0: Now, you mentioned you you wanted to find out personally how Korea today was different from the Korea your parents knew. So I want to get a sense of what it was, what Korea was it that your parents knew before you even found out how it was different from the Korea today? What what were the ideas you had about how the old Korea was?
1: Well, I mean, my family was incredibly hierarchical, very traditional, uh, very religious as well. Um, and The Confucian model was just part of our family's life. My father would say at the dinner table, You know, your parents are the sky and you guys are the earth, you know, or
0: remind you of that.
1: Oh yeah. You know, (laughs) so we were, we were told very much, you know, very clearly that you are merely children. (laughs) You don't have a say. Um, well that was just the way I was raised. Um, and many people around me were raised in more or less the same fashion. Mm. I mean, there were variations, but, uh, um, we were probably one of the more extreme, um, versions and all sorts of levels, my, you know, my father was not a man of moderation in, mm. at all. But um, the Korea that I came to and, I, and that I still live in is one where so uh, the, the level of hierarchy in families is very malleable, mm. um, depending on family, you know, from family to family. Modern.
0: And not all on the same structure.
1: No, I mean there is still more respect for parents, and you know, and more overt, um, a more overt kind of form of respect for parents in this culture. But at the same time, that's constantly challenged or subverted in different ways. That I was surprised to see.
0: Right, that becomes its own art form: how to challenge, how to subvert yes. that when it's been so historically rigid.
1: Right. Mm. And this idea, again, of men all just, you know, Asian men or Korean men are all very patriarchal. Well, you know, a lot of the Korean um, younger men today, you know, they are, they're often doing the cooking, you know, for their girlfriends or they, they go grocery shopping together as couples. Um, the way that their relationships with their children are these days is so different and many of them much more communicative. So, um. You know, and I mentioned earlier the uh, a girl I'd met with, a, you know, who wore a dog collar. I mean, literally, sure. was a, a an artist uh, type, and you know, very punkish, and right. you know, had her a little dog collar on. Her sister and her were both um, lesbians, openly, and her mother like approved of it and let her leave school because she didn't think it was. You know, she didn't wanted to go traditional route. She didn't want to wow. go traditional college. Whereas in Korea, that's just the most important thing. Period. Mm. So you get you get a lot more variation than I'd ex- I'd expected. How
0: did your so traditional family handle being in being in America?
1: Well, I, I they just pretended they weren't in America.
0: <laughs> like that's kind of a common strategy, or was before?
1: I'd say it's still a common strategy. Right. It just depends on family to family, mm. um, and you know, and that's my, really my argument for culture in general, Frank, Mm -hmm. again, is that in each culture, you have so many variations of people and ways of living that to say, oh, that uh, what are Koreans like is a very complicated, loaded question. Mm -hmm. And so even with, you know, the way our family was, it's mainly because of the kind of father I had. (laughs) That's really all I can say. Mm -hmm. You know, when you have someone who's terrified of the new and is very traditional and is very right. patriarchal and angry and injured in all you know their own ways that you know America becomes the great enemy then right. for someone like yes. that right. but for someone else you know uh, who you know is running away from Korea because they don't uh, they want to reinvent themselves like when you think of the whole uh, you know, the idea of America as a kind of a place to reinvent and right. to recreate an identity. You know, I know of an, another Korean man, um, of my father's generation who remade himself into kind of like a French, a uh, Parisian style, um, huh. uh, aesthete and intellectual.
0: Where did he do this? In America. Oh my. I mean, what city? Uh,
1: in the Bay Area originally. Okay, I guess that's
0: yes. probably one place you could do that. <laughs>
1: Oh, you can do it anywhere, though. You can,
0: you, you can do it anywhere. That's true. That's
1: the wonderful thing about people, I think, is that mm-hmm. it's both... And that's my... It, the, the, there's culture. that's both about culture and it's about the thing that is not of the culture, which is the human being. Yeah. And you can have a, a Korean who's pretending to be or modeling their life on a, a, a French... Uh, you know, the traditional French intellectual and athlete, mm-hmm. um in... Wyoming. Right. If, if you really look for it, <laughs>
0: there's not a lot of people in that state, but if you look hard, you know, there's a lot of ground to cover. In, in one of the stories, you have a Korean man who's from a distance, he's left Korea, watching the bad things that happened in Korea from the time he left through the decades. And, and uh, there's, there's the financial crisis, but there's, I remember especially, uh, you mentioned the collapse of the Sampung department store in Seoul which killed like over 500 people. And this was to this character proof that he was right to leave Korea. Like, look what happens. And this was, of course, you wrote this before the sinking of the Sewol Ferry, but I would imagine that played a similar role for some Koreans abroad. Did it not like, look, look what's still happening in Korea. I mean, did you get a sense that that was a comparable incident for people?
1: Yes, actually, uh, the Sampung department store was referred to quite a lot in the news after, Mm. uh, the Sewol Ferry tragedy. Um, but in my story, when the character tells himself, Oh, look, I was right to leave when he watches what happens on the television. He says it as a sense in an intent to comfort himself mm. because of what he misses and he's homesick for as well. Like reassuring some, yes, I was right to leave, wasn't I? Because that's what you tell yourself when you have doubts. Mm. Um, so again, it's coming from a place that's deeply personal, even though context is cultural and i that's the kind of writing i aspire to it's the writing that i also respect as well i think the most dangerous thing is that when we we talk about and we write about culture in a very reductive manner Mm. um it's doing both ourselves and the people we write about as well as our the readers um you know a a great you know a a great great harm i think
0: how does that usually happen i mean when that mistake is made how is it how does it tend to be made what what is the pitfall it's if it's easy to fall into to the the, the pitfall of cultural reduction
1: uh, i suppose um, from a writer's perspective it's when you write about when you're when the, your interest in the culture and using people's examples of the culture yeah, okay. um, writing
0: about a representative korean a story about a, this is, you know, the Korean. Here's what he does.
1: Or becoming, you know, or be, becoming overly conscious about writing Korea, which again, I right. think is very dangerous. Mm. I think you, when you write about a character, write, write deeply about a character, whether they are Jewish or Korean or um, wow. Armenian, by writing deeply about the character and their world, you will end up ha- writing about their culture and of their culture and the culture that rises from the very deepest places of that character mm. but if you're doing that on a conscious level i'm it's difficult i think mm. and i don't do that um i've not i never even i never thought about that but i found it i mean my my second book uh uh that i'm been revising for Couple of years now.
0: Well, <laughs> the more the better in a way.
1: <laughs> yes. Sadly, I'm, I keep telling myself that. But, um, writing about, uh, well, I, you know, I worked as an act- activist briefly on in the North Korea, uh, China border area. Mm. And writing about the people that I cared about, these North Korean refugees, right. um, at first I was very careful because I did think so much about representation in some ways because I'm representing a cause mm. and humanitarian rights. And, um, they're, they're very both dire situation, yet people that aren't pitiful at all. I don't see them in that way. They're very resourceful. They're very strong. And it took me quite a long time to be, to be able to write boldly without those fears and restraints. Partially when, you know, uh, an NGO worker, a friend of mine read, the book, and just said, finally, someone's got it right. And then I felt ah. liberated because I was so afraid of not getting it
0: right. Did, did they say what you got right that others get wrong?
1: Oh, I mean, in, in the sense that I inter- I I know the that situation of the world.
0: Right. So when you're I, writing about well, North Koreans, this is in the instance of you wanted to make sure you got North Korean characters correct in some sense.
1: It's not about characters because mm-hmm. the North Koreans, again, like are like everyone else in the right. sense that their cultural context is very specific, and often yeah. very damaging. Uh, but the people, you get can, you can, sometimes I, of someone mm. I know is incredibly romantic, serious, poetic, mm. and he's North Korean. Yes. Another North Korean who can't stop telling jokes. He's a, he's the <laughs> clown of when he was attending South Korean universities, so he was incredibly popular. Mm. He was the funniest student in every class. Mm. <laughs> Another friend of mine in North Korean, um, Shin Dong Hyuk, who's, who was written about, of course, an escape from camp 14 and became wow. famous after that book, um, is very curious, very sweet, very naive and earnest as well as, you know, hurt and hard and lonely in different wow. ways. Um, they're all very different.
0: Yeah, I mean if yeah. You, it's true. If you think about it it's of course they are. I mean it's the same that they're people. they're human beings everywhere but I guess my question is why would we not think that? Why would we think that North Koreans aren't just other people in a very different situation?
1: I sometimes think it's because we can't think of them as people. Hmm. Frankly, when I look at some of the writing that's been done on North Korea in terms of the fiction in Korea, and I was so angry and insulted when I read it, it's one of the reasons why I decided to finally write a novel Mm. about them, is that I felt like um, there were certain stories and perspectives and grayness that needed to be told, Mm. because it's not always the pure Re- there is no pure refugee story in the mm-hmm. sense that everyone has different reasons for right. leaving. And it's not always the reasons that are always publicized. Right. Um, the loudest in media as well, because the most sensationalized stories are sometimes the most popular ones. Or, it, you know, again, it's very, um, the, the idea that every woman who crosses the river is being kidnapped basically into the sex trade. Um, is more complicated than, than that it doesn 't make it any less dire, but it certainly um, you know there 's a lot of room for individual choice and freedom that I was interested in exploring and also I, I did want to show North Koreans as very different kinds of human beings from each other, partially because I found such one dimensional representations mm. in fiction, and that really bothered me.
0: Mm. It's, I'm trying to think of how many representations I've seen of North Koreans in fiction, outside of your stories. I haven't seen too many, which means I've avoided. I've avoided some off-putting characterizations. It sounds like. I mean, was there, were there? Did you come across a lot of them just in your reading of one-dimensional North Korean characters in novels? Are they are they plentiful?
1: Well, there's a lot of novels written in Korea.
0: Oh, okay. so well, these novels have come to
1: the West actually right. because they're all written in Korean. I see. But there's you know, there's many prejudices and biases against North Koreans in mm-hmm. South Korea and you actually see many of those prejudices played out in the fiction. And ah, I find I that kind of disconcerting. I think a new kind of fiction will start to emerge very soon. Mm-hmm. Certainly the films have become much more subtle and much more um uh, truthful in the sense of, not truthful to reality, but truthful in the sense of the psychic truth of the character yeah. is much more, um, uh, real to me, hmm. uh, in terms of North Korean depictions today in film. Um, I think the West embraced Adam Johnson's book, uh, The Orphan Master's Stun, hmm. the way they did, partially because his character was of complicated, right. genuine, you know, human being that was both compelling and mysterious to readers. Mm. Um, But a lot of depictions of North Koreans have not gotten to the point of really seeing them as characters in that way, at least in the fiction written in Korea. But that's changing and will continue to change for the better.
0: It It makes me think of, I realize I have read, of course, another North Korean in, in fiction in a, in a Korean novel, a South Korean novel. It's in English, uh, Your Republic is Calling You by Kim jong ha mm-hmm. whom we both know. And that, well, it was a striking book to me because whether or not the main character who is a sleeper agent from the North in the South, who has, makes his whole life in the South and then gets called back, whether or not he's true to the true to the experience of that kind of North Korean, I don't know. But it was very striking that I was reading... South Korean novel with a North Korean central character that was, I would say, very sympathetically written. I mean, but you've, you've, you've read the book, of course. Is that, do you put that in the body of,
1: uh, uh, astute depictions of North Koreans? I think it's an astute depiction of a character, mm. but.
0: Right. Of a character who happens to be North Korean.
1: Yes, but even calling him North Korean is a very difficult thing to use in terms of that book because mm. the character, he's more the way that I, I was born in the West and right. lived there, but I went, I have came to Korea and I've lived here for a very long time and started in Korea, actually. His character started in North Korea, but has been living in, North, in, yeah. a, in, in, in South Korea. He
0: became Southern, essentially. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So he's not quite North anymore. He's not right. quite South anymore. It's almost
0: an immigrant story, yes. if you think about it. It
1: yeah. is. In some ways, that's that's what it is. It's, yeah. a, he's a, He is a sleeper agent, but is a sleeper agent who's pretty much forgotten he's a sleeper agent. Right. And so the shock is that he's suddenly called back to uh, serve his country. And he's yeah. like, that one day of his life, which, um, you know, people have called it a kind of, I mean, he was labeled a market as a thriller in the West, but as I told um, Kim Jong ha when I was interviewing him at, London, at the London Book Fair, um, you know, I told him, I thought this was a more uh, kind of a, 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 Uly- a Ulyssian kind of right nod. <laughs> I mean, it's a day... It's one day, one day of one man's life where he dis- he ponders what to do, mm. whether to return or to stay, and um, that th- that I think is where the heart of the book is, and the question of identity is very central. Mm. Like, what am I?
0: Right, is yeah. really what's happening. There's this one moment in this in the book. I, I won't I won't talk too much about this other writer's book, but I don't know if you tell me if you this this moment struck you as much as it did me. But when he's the, the main character, the sleeper agent, remembers the one time he met up with a fellow sleeper agent somewhere in the South. I guess they were drinking, and the other guy's just like he just turns to him and all of a sudden's like, "Do you remember when Chosan played in the World Cup, and he just he would, he would just use the original name of their country like out in public just in that one moment? I don't know why it strikes me so much, but is it a moment you remember from the book too?
1: No, you know, I can't say at Mm. this point. Uh, It's
0: been a while. It's been
1: a while. I read it when it first came out.
0: In any case, the idea of like the old culture resurfacing just for a moment, Mm. it's always a really striking, it's it's always a really striking moment. And as you say, there's no no single story of a North Korean refugee. There's no, there isn't the North Korean refugee story, just as there's no the story of a South Korean leaving for America, moving to, say, Los Angeles' Koreatown. But that's a place you use in, in Drifting House as well, and it's it's where I live, in fact, uh, Koreatown in Los Angeles. What, what, what is Koreatown?
1: Well, I mean, Koreatown is, I suppose, different things for different people. But you know, for many Americans today, or many people in Los Angeles, I think it's Koreatown is a place where. where night never ends.
0: <laughs> yes, compared to the other parts of Los Angeles, right. it is.
1: I mean, you, you know, you can still go out for drinks in Koreatown at 3, 4 in the morning, and there are people... I, I once left, I think, at nearly 4 in the morning from a place in Koreatown, and we were the first ones to leave. Mm-hmm. That's very much like Korea, South Korea, actually. Right. Right. Um, it's also kind of, in, in some ways, a mini South Korea, but... South Korea, and sometimes in its worst form. In
0: Its worst. What, what, what are the worst characteristics that have made it there to Koreatown?
1: I mean, this feels like such a judgment, but uh, <laughs> but I suppose uh, the the obsession with materialism, mm. uh, beauty, image, um, all of uh, the the, sh- the kind of more rigid gender roles yeah. uh, is it, which is. Actually, much more in some ways, much more rigid in the, the a small section or a small population of Koreatown than it is in Korea.
0: Actually. Yeah, there, there's this way that in immigrant communities, it, they're more conservative than the original country. The original country moves on, whereas the community is it was peopled by an older generation, and that that thinking continues.
1: Yes, uh, mm. very much. Or they, cause they, they seem to, and also the, the, the younger generation who grows up within that environment seems to kind of, uh, cling to an idea of Korea that is mm. maybe even more, you know, Korean than the actual Korea is. <laughs> mm, yes. Um, but then there's also that other Korea town, which, um, you know, there's quite a lot of, Koreans actually don't live in Koreatown. Right. The Korean Americans they come from all over Los Angeles, and they just play in Koreatown. <laughs> yes. But the actual Koreans who live in Koreatown—quite a lot of them—are people who are renting. Mm. They don't have a lot of money. They um, live in you know one bedrooms, and where occasionally now and then there'll be gunshots right. uh, in the neighborhood. Um, uh, and a, a woman told me before she was afraid to like leave her house at night because mm. occasionally things happened. Um, and they live there because they don't speak English mm. or they can't afford to live elsewhere. Um, there's cabs that will just pick them up. They're Korean-speaking because right. they're dependent on them for transportation. They can't. I've
0: taken a couple of those to the airport. They're a pretty good deal, but you see where they come from.
1: Yes, yeah. Mm. Um, a lot of them don't have health insurance and, uh, it's, that's the other sadder, harder kind of Korea town, mm. um, uh, that also interests me.
0: Mm. What do you think about modern Korea, modern Seoul surprises people the most who come here, who've been away a long time or who were born outside Korea, Koreans? Mm.
1: I think they're always so surprised at how intensely Koreans party.
0: Ha <laughs> ha! Huh, huh. That's what I always hear. We're out till 7, 7, 7. It's always 7 for some reason.
1: Because they would like to, I mean, you know, <laughs> you, you, you... you it, you know, people often like to stay out until they see the sun, you sure. know, the sunrise. Plus the subway
0: stops that you have to wait for it to come back sometimes.
1: Well, that's the excuse. <laughs> you know, yes. many people always say, oh, well, if we leave now, we'll have to take a taxi. So let's just right. wait until, you know, the, the, sun, you know, the sun rises. Right. But that means that you just drink for three or four more hours, which costs more than a taxi anyways. <laughs> yeah, But
0: then you know you've partied. You know, you've, you know the group has gone through something that you've been out with. You've gone through a whole night. The day has begun again. And I guess I don't know if I can see why that's important to Koreans, but I can sort of feel why it is.
1: Uh, my uh, my boyfriend or my partner, I suppose. I don't know. Um, my guy likes to say <laughs> that um, he, um, my guy who's Korean sure. <laughs> likes to say that uh, Koreans are just very emotional in general, mm-hmm. and we we both kind of have this idea that Koreans, a lot of them, might cling to staying up staying up all night because if you're having a good time. Yeah. They they kind of enjoying that feeling, and so they don't want that feeling to end. Right. So and they know they're gonna go to work the next day. They know it's they're gonna it's like Wednesday, and they're up all night. And that happens quite often in Korea. They know they're gonna feel like you know a nightmare the next next morning. But it's they're enjoying the time and they're having real conversations and feeling intimacy and closeness with one another. So they just don't want that feeling to end. Right,
0: and And it's understandable, but that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We have a word for Ashum. Right. And Ashum is oh you know, if you if, if you end something, it's just like, oh it's too bad there's something you're missing out on. <laughs> if, yeah. So they just continue. <laughs> and I think that's one of the things that does surprise people because compared to Korea, New York is a slower pace of living.
0: Yes, if you can believe that, New Yorkers. <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean Koreans with the, the Koreans who go to Manhattan they say Oh, Maddenhead feels so much like home. It's like a lower, you know, easygoing pace compared right. to Seoul, but it's like right. a it's like Seoul in some ways, mm. but at an easier pace. So why
0: why wasn't it just a visit? Why did the visit to Korea become a decade?
1: Hmm. Uh, good question.
0: <laughs> Not that you can point to any one thing, but there's probably what what do you get here that you don't get in London or in America? Where have you?
1: Well, when I came from Korea, one of the things that, you know, I came straight from England and I was surprised at how different uh, people were again because I'd adjusted and become accustomed to the way life was in England, right. to the culture um, in England. And Koreans were so, yeah, the the difference was both intimate and strange to me, right. was both familiar and foreign. Um, and it also felt like just being there felt important and necessary as if something as if I had realized I was missing an arm Mm. and I just realized it by coming back at that right age and time Mm. to realize it wasn't there.
0: It reminds me of what I've heard from some American, some Korean Americans who were born in America. They say, yeah, I mean, I look a little different, talk way different than the Koreans in Korea. But when I went back, I felt like the whole country was my family in some way. Did you have that feeling?
1: Well, you might think the whole country's your family, but they won't think you're uh, their family. <laughs> I
0: see. They so you're a Korean American still to the rest of Korea.
1: No, I don't mean that. I just mm. mean that you know, Korea is a group culture. So if mm. they don't know you, then you just are no yeah, one. Then yeah. once they know you, you are someone. You're a
0: stranger essentially, yes. what to begin with, of yes. course, as you would be in America. I mean, you expect to be a stranger in America in most Strangers cases.
1: Might talk to each other yes, or, ch- you know, have conversation, strike up conversations and become right. friendly. That just isn't part of the Korean culture.
0: Yeah, that's true. Here you bump into a stranger. It doesn't matter. You, you're going to bump into a hundred more. It's okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, um, yes, maybe that's great that they felt like they found a family, but, uh, they, you know, your family isn't necessarily going to be embracing you. That's true. Um, but I think that sense of familiarity is certain the is certainly appealing. Um, with the sense of not being a minority is kind of, it was, uh, it was novel, mm. you know, and again, uh, comforting perhaps in a different way. Um, but really more about a sense again of that missing arm, a family history. Um, you know, my family was again, very rocky, very strange. Uh, and, uh, that there is continuity almost like having to work backwards. Like I'd seen Korea where it was at that point and to look backwards and to make the connections to, to see what might have happened.
0: Mm. As you say, you're working on a novel. What is Seoul like as a place for writing?
1: Um, I think like most incredibly big active cities with a lot of culture and interesting people. It's not an easy place to work. <laughs> uh, there's endless temptations and distractions, as well as just sheer busyness. Um, but you know, you uh, I live a fairly quiet life here. I didn't always, but certainly now um, my life has become very simple, very quiet. Maybe it's too possible quiet. to do
0: that. It's possible to make a quiet life in Seoul if you want.
1: Yes. Mm. Um, yeah maybe a little too quiet, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> but uh, um, it, it is what you make of it, and many writers here feel i think as Korean writers feel a sense of comfort because they have each other I mean in a sense that you are part they 're part of a community that they can reach out to whenever they want, mm-hmm. and I enjoy that, but you know I am writing in English, and the the other writing community my you know my other writing community is all. In the West, um, and so that's always a little hard, but um, you know, so my friendships with a lot of writers are in another language. Right, 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 right.
0: At some point, though, you're writing. For example, Drifting House will appear in Korean. What, what would you, what would you be interested to hear about how somebody reacts to it, reading it in the Korean language as a Korean who perhaps doesn't read English work at all?
1: Right I mean e- well even even then I think again, you know it doesn't change the my relationship with writers in the sense that mm-hmm. I uh, I am always going to be speaking their language mm-hmm. um, in the sense that it is my language, but as a writer, the, the language I write in is clearly my stronger language. Mm-hmm. and so my friendships aren't in, in the, the English language. but um, I have I've, I've had Korean friends who are able to read English or acquaintances or people who I've never met read my book, actually. And they either write me or they talk to me. And many people have just said, and I thought it was, I was pleasantly surprised because they said they forgot they're reading in English because it was just like reading a book in Korean. I remember Um, somebody
0: saying to me, he was reading that book, reading Drifting House, and he was thinking to himself for a moment, he caught himself thinking, Wow, this book has a great translator. Who who was it? Cuz they wanted to get such a good translator, forgetting of course that it was written in English in the first place. I mean, it's is that do you think that's reflective of the way you use language or reflective of the material of the book?
1: I think it's my guess is it's because I'm writing again deeply ca- character driven stories. Right. I mean, my landscape is large. I mean, it's covering 40 years and uh, I like big stories. Mm. You know, my editor was excited about that This, in the sense that I like weird stories and big <laughs> uh, stories. Uh, I like uh, things to happen. Um, mm. I'm interested in the world and the world of mm. um, the world and all its possibilities. But I think that when you write deeply from a character's perspective and they become a human being rather than obje- uh, looking from outside inwards. Yeah. Um, what several people have told me, and I only became aware of it in retrospect because other people actually understand it better than when you're actually writing it, I yeah, think, yeah. is that um, I, you know, I write this character from inside outwards because mm. I'm writing from within the culture yeah. rather than outside the culture. And so because I'm writing about Koreans, I think sometimes people do think mm. I must be Korean, You know, um, writing about
0: Koreans. You must be writing from within the language as well as within the culture. Yes.
1: But you're having, and this is one of the things that I was talking to the Guardians editor about, the arts editor um, Claire about, uh, which was, uh, which is that um, there are more and more writers today that are like me, you know, that are living in other countries, writing in the English language. but they're committed or their vast majority of their life is lived elsewhere. And you think of, I think of Mosseen Hamid, um, I think of uh, Jitahil Tahil Mm -hmm. in New Delhi, Um, uh, uh, Tasha, he's writing out of uh, London, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, there's a, a, a Chinese writer who wrote Chinese Lover's Dictionary. Mm -hmm. She's in England, but she went there when she was after after university. And she started writing in a second language, Mm -hmm. even. Um, So you have all these writers who no longer... The the labels don't quite work anymore.
0: Uh, The old labels, anyway. They'll make up brand new ones, maybe.
1: Yes. Or someone like, again, uh, Ha Jin, or Yi Yun Li, who people Mm -hmm. often think of as Chinese writers, but they now have... They, you know, you, they, they are part of the US, they belong there, their mm. citizenship is there, and they write in English. Wow. And yet, their entire childhoods and their most, many of their formative experiences were f- in another country. Mm. And they often write about that other country that formed the people that they are today.
0: It's, it, it's a writing about a process, not necessarily. A culture. A, it's it's a cultural process rather than a culture. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's a very they, these in between cultures or so the idea of the location of culture with a question mark behind it <laughs> is something that more and more scholars are writing and thinking about today because we're changing as a world and the what is that term that they use the um, third generation or is it ah, I forgot what it's called.
0: To describe what?
1: Uh, There's a lot of kids these days that are growing Mm up, like maybe within three countries. And so the big question for them is like, well, what is my Uh, country? uh,
0: Or does it matter? (laughs) Yes. Now, there's this fascination Americans have, and I guess foreigners, Westerners in general do, with North Korea. They seem to read anything about North Korea, watch anything about North Korea. I'm not sure what that's rooted in, maybe fear, but do you think you can, you know, writing about North Koreans, but real people writing about, writing full characters who happen to be North Korean, do you think you can use that fascination and somehow oh, how to put it, take that surface fascination and sort of pull readers in down a bit deeper by not, not necessarily deliberately but is that in your mind? Like, I know people want to read about North Korea, but let's see if I can make them read about actual people who happen to be North Korean.
1: You realize this is a very recent phenomenon. Yes. Uh, earlier books about North Korea are not popular at all. Right. And when I first started writing my book, right. it was not popular. <laughs> but now, it's well, the yes. time. Uh, yeah. Well, it's the time that I'm missing because I can't get my book out on time. But, uh you know when Adam, uh, when Adam's book came out, or when uh, Blaine Harden's book about Shin Hyo came out, mm-hmm. that was really the first time. Or Barbara Demick's book uh, made a quite a splash, but not as much in America. More belatedly and uh, bigger, I think, in some ways, in Europe, that was mm-hmm. more. Was more interested in North Korea early on than America was. I think. I mean, I could be wrong, but that's right. the sense I'm I got. I think the West is fascinated. Yeah, uh, but it is a very recent fascination. Um, and I, you know, again, as a writer, you just can't even think that way. No, I, I think it's a terrible, unhealthy way to. S- I, I consider it a disease in fiction.
0: <laughs> I can understand that, but then again, maybe. I I hope it does happen. I hope people do read the book out of fascination with North Korea and then realize there's more to it.
1: Well, I think that's a great thing if people read out of curiosity and fascination. But I think from a writer's point of view, if you, uh, as a a friend of mine who's, there are trends in fiction. um, And by the time you actually finish a book, the trend is usually over. (laughs) Oh, yes. And a friend of mine who had a very big first book, for example, she decided, oh, dystopian fiction is big, so I'm going to write a dystopian novel. And she, and she's very open about it. She said, frankly, she wrote two, three hundred pages. Her agent said, is you know, didn't work, and part of it's because she just wasn't interested.
0: Right. It was a backward motivation.
1: Yes, and that's why I think you know, as if you really want to write good work, you you have to write it the way you need to. You, right. If you write with an audience and that kind of a market in mind, you won't write the book that you want to write. Meaning even if, let's say, for example, you know, in my case, again, you know, it was a world, I, I'm obsessed with religion, mm-hmm. and I was working with missionaries out in the border area. Mm-hmm. I was an activist in South Korea. Um, I've known these people a long time. So it's clearly a world that is... I'm comfortable right. in and about again writing within the culture. I'm very. I feel much more comfortable writing within a culture. I can't. It's right. very hard to do it the other way for me. Um, and
0: you're not writing about a culture. You're writing from within it. That's a, there's a distinction to underscore here.
1: Yeah, I think that's mm. the thing from within, and so you write about people who just who happen to be of certain worlds or um, orientations. Right. Um. But once you start seeing it from outside. I, I just wouldn't trust the artistic judgments that I would make.
0: Uh, right, and it's understandable. I think it's what I think it's what refreshed people reading Drifting House. Is they, even if they wanted to read a book about Koreans in their own mind, they got something different, and it's a good thing that they did. And uh, listeners, if you if you feel like reading a book about Koreans, read this book and be surprised by it. Don't uh, don't don't go in thinking you're going to thinking that you'll that that you know what you're going to get and it is here in korea specifically in seoul that i've been speaking with chris lee author of drifting house and she's the author of i'm sure many books to come i look forward to reading them chris thanks so much thank you this has been the los angeles review of books podcast i've been Colin marshall keep up with the larb at lareviewofbooks.com and with me at
1: org. thanks